Football is back. Chiefs football is back. Their first preseason game in the books. Uh, solid outing for the starters. Not quite the ending you want to see. Uh, it, it, it's funny seeing fans on social media actually have a breakdown uh, over guys who are probably not going to be on the team that lost you this football game. I mean, sure, Andy, the, the coaches want to win these games uh, because they they want to they want their jobs to be difficult when they have to trim the roster to 53 guys and a couple other guys on the practice squad. They want that. I mean, that's that's a good problem to have uh, for a football team, for a football coach. So, uh, unfortunately, it didn't go Kansas City's way in the end. I, I'm sure that's a, that's something coaches are going to look at, and, uh, and it, it, it's just not a good feeling to have. It, it, you haven't played football in a long time. It's your first game back. That first preseason game, it's so much different than the second and the fourth one because it's the first time you're back on the field playing football. And I excluded the third one uh, intentionally because, of course, the third preseason game is really the last one where your starters play the most, traditionally. And we'll see. Some NFL teams don't really abide by that non-written rule. I mean, they'll just go and put the backups early in the first half. But, uh, yeah, overall, I don't think there was anything too concerning uh, from this game. We'll go over it in just a moment. But, Overall, Chiefs football's back, and uh, again, don't get so worked up over what happens with the end result by guys who have the game in their hands when really a lot of them are going to be cut come middle August or early September. This is the Chiefs on Podcast. I'm your host, Farzine Vasugan. Thank you for downloading and listening to another edition of the Chiefs on Podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. You're, you're on just in time. For the football season, the 2016 season, you guys can interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. You can also follow me on Twitter and talk to me on there, at Farzine21. Of course, we're going to talk about the Chiefs preseason match over the Seattle Seahawks, the 17-16 to loss. The good, the bad, uh, well, what do we take away from a preseason game? As always... The records don't matter, but some of the performances, they they mean something. They have these games for a reason, but again, nothing worth getting too worked up about. I'll give you my biggest takeaways in just a moment. Also a rant, something that was brought up during this Chiefs broadcast that I, I, I've just got to I've just got to get on this subject. So I'll get to that later. And I promised last podcast episode, I'll touch on Marcus Peters and why I, I, I just don't think... He's going to have the same season this year like he did during his rookie season. It might even struggle a little bit. I'll tell you why later on in the show. Of course, we'll do the Around the NFL segment. I'm introducing a new segment in this podcast. It's called Out of Bounds. Uh, look, I got a couple of complaints from some of you guys on social media. You know, I, I touch too much on the Royals. I make too many references. Listen, there, there was a point in making that last, last episode because... Look, the, the past two years, this has really been a Royals-centric town. Everything revolves around those boys in blue, and rightfully so, because they've been to the World Series for two years in a row. Their playoff hope's kind of on edge right now, more likely as a wild card. But again, uh, I understand your guys' uh, responses, and I appreciate you guys, seriously, uh, for, for sharing that. So I decided to come up with a segment called Out of Bounds, where I'll discuss... Anything outside of not just Chiefs football, just outside of football overall. So our out of bounds segment, which we'll have later on to conclude the show, I've got a couple of topics to discuss. And uh, you know, if you guys want to take a little bit of a break from 
Chiefs talk. Well, I, I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes touching on things outside of the NFL, which I think will be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll see what the reaction's like. Uh, I, I think it's nice to... Listen, 610 Sports Radio gets a lot of grief for not talking about sports sometimes or on their shows or on their social media pages. But that's only just a small percentage of people who complain about that. For the most part, people love the the variety. And that's what I want to try to bring to the show. People think I, I only watch Chiefs football or, or the end. No, I, I mean, I watch all kinds of sports, some more than others. I, I, won't, I, I won't deny that, but... I think it'll be a nice variety for the podcast. I, instead of bringing things up during the show or, or dedicating a segment, I think we have its own segment, and I think it's going to make everyone happy. So we'll see how that goes later on in the podcast. But to start off, Kansas City's win, or pardon me, loss over the Seattle Seahawks. Again, how seriously do we take these preseason games? Like I said a moment ago, the records don't count. Performances matter, but... Are they a mirror image of how things will look for 16 games? Yeah, absolutely not. A, a lot of the starters play. L- listen, I, I, I hear so much fans make such a big deal if their starters do well against opposing team starters. Oh, well, hey, we beat this team. They went to the playoffs. They got two playoffs wins. They went to the Super Bowl. Look, d- don't get too excited because a lot of starters, they play soft in these preseason games. The, the preseason ha- is not about the starters. It's absolutely not. It's about the guys who are on the roster bubble. I mean, guys who went undrafted or late-round draft picks. Guys who are trying to maybe even revive their careers. That's what the preseason is about. It's about those guys trying to fight for a contract, essentially. Or a roster spot, at the very least. And NFL teams, look, like I said, players, the starters play soft... Unless uh, there's a guy, there, there are two guys fighting for a left tackle spot or the quarterback position. At that point, the preseason does become very interesting. I know that was the case in 2007 between Damon Heward and Brody Croyle in a glorious performance of two guys who had short-lived careers in Kansas City as starters. But seriously, NFL head coaches aren't going to look at their play sheet and go, oh, okay, here's this home run play. Let's let's run that in the preseason game and put it on film for guys to see going into week one of the season. No, absolutely not. Even coaches hold back on some of their big home run-like plays. So again, if, if your team does well with the starters, don't get too excited. It's nice to see, of course. But if you get burned... By the opposing team starters, that's not something to really get worked up about either. And fans generally don't. They'll just say, oh, it's the preseason. It's funny how fans really look at preseason matches. They'll say, they'll get excited if their teams are doing well, their starters are doing well. But if their starters get beat a lot, oh, well, it's just the preseason. So I've just come to the point in all of my years of watching football, and I've done this for a few years now, to just really lay back and, and just watch it and really just watch closely more for the guys that are fighting for a roster spot. I'll start with the quarterbacks. Uh, Alex Smith, Nick Foles, uh, they're obviously your one and two guys. Uh, they didn't do 
Uh, they did pretty well, I thought. Alex Smith, of course, had a really nice drive, had a really nice third down play where he found Jeremy Macklin. Uh, had to run around the backfield a little bit to find someone wide open. There was another wide open receiver in the middle of the end zone, but it, it, that happens from time to time. It, it's difficult to find a wide open guy every single time, and when you're trying to fight off all this pressure, I, I mean, your, your your blood gets flowing, your adrenaline is rushing high, and uh, I don't think it takes playing the quarterback position to know this, but when you're dealing with 300-pound monsters just chasing you around in the backfield, uh, the last thing you're concerned about is who's wide open. You want to get out of that, escape that pressure. Then once you're in a comfortable spot, then you'll look for someone wide open. And the first guy you see where you can get the ball to, that's who you throw to. And that's why Alex Smith found Jeremy Macklin rather than uh, a wide open player right in the middle of the end zone, and that happens. As long as you find a way to move the football, th- those scores will happen, as it did. Uh, and by the way, coaches keep that take consideration t- into this in these glorified scrimmages, if you will. The coaches will say, "Hey, look, that receiver or that tight end, he got out there, still was wide open. Uh, he, he's going to stay high on, on his depth chart. Maybe he'll move up over another guy because he did his job as a receiver to get open. It's not his fault entirely that the quarterback didn't find him. And it's not the quarterback's fault that he couldn't find the player in the end zone. So, again, I know Alex Smith, he, he's so highly criticized by everyone. It's amazing. Uh, so don't get too worked up if a guy can't find someone else wide open in the end zone when they still find a way to move the chains. I mean, it's like basketball. You might have someone that's wide open in the corner for a three, but if you go out there, get a slam dunk, okay, you'll take two points still. I mean, a score is better than nothing. Getting a first down is better than throwing the ball away or getting sacked or an incompletion of some sort. So it was, it was to me, that that's my biggest thing from that first drive is seeing Alex Smith be able to move around. Uh, and of course, with his mobility, he's able to do that, which is not something a lot of quarterbacks can do. I mean, if, if that's Tom Brady or Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, they probably don't even make that play. Heck, they may even risk it and go for the end zone Right, rather than trying to escape the pressure, a lot of quarterbacks have trouble escaping pressure in this league because of uh, their lack of mobility. So it's nice to have that in Alex Smith's arsenal, so he can do those kinds of things. And again, I know it's not the flashiest offense to have in the NFL, but it has won games for the Chiefs and for other teams in the past. So the Chiefs did cap out, cap off that drive with a touchdown. Sharkandrick West and Spencer Ware both looked really good. It was Spencer Ware who got that touchdown for the Chiefs. The only touchdown of the game until the final seconds, which, again, we all know who was in the game and how many of those guys are probably going to be on the roster. But uh, overall, I was encouraged by the Chiefs starters. Uh, Russell Wilson and his offense, they went out there. And Marcus Peters with a really nice pick, an impressive interception. And I will say that's probably one of his more impressive interceptions compared to the ones he had his rookie season. I'll get to Marcus Peters later on, but I I like the way how he was still under the receiver and just came away out of nowhere to come off with that pick. And that's really how good cornerbacks are defined in this league when they're able to stay close to the wide receivers. And And it's very similar to the pick he... Someone had against Peyton Manning the first time the Chiefs and Broncos played last year where he took that all the way back for a touchdown. Uh, had he been able to 
when he had that pick, I think he went out of bounds at the one, maybe one and a half yard line. Uh, right, he got, got that pick right in the end zone. So uh, it ends on interception. Any way you can get it is great. Uh, had Marcus Peters been able to stay on his feet and maintain his balance, he could have t- taken that for a lot of yards. He had some blocking help there, but look, uh, y- y- you can't beg every single time. So uh, he got the pick one way or another, and that's something the Chiefs needed uh, against their starters. Now again, uh, is that something to get too excited about? I mean, is, is Russell Wilson, should Seahawks fans think Russell Wilson's the worst quarterback in the world? Well, absolutely not. He won him a Super Bowl not too long ago, took him to another one, and almost won it right there had it not been for... Uh, the, the play called there, which, you know, that's a different topic for a different day. But overall, the starters did what they needed to do. They they, they did what was asked of them. So uh, you, you can't be too upset with what you saw from your number ones in this game. As far as backups, guys who really look good, and mostly on the defensive side of the football. Again, on the offensive side, nothing too exciting. I'll just say this about the quarterbacks. Aaron Murray, statistically speaking, was the best quarterback in the game. But again, if you're if you're going to look at the stats, it's not like Aaron Murray had eye-grabbing statistics. I mean, he was, what, 3 for 5 for 52 yards. Uh, had a very high uh, passing average. But again, uh, what do you really say about that? I mean, 3 for 5, is that really uh, that exciting? I mean, Tyler Bray com- com- completed uh, 3 passes for 48 yards, but also had 6 incompletions. A couple drops here and there, but uh, again, here's the thing. Trent Green mentioned this, or I believe it might have been uh, Baldy who mentioned this in the postgame show. You just don't have a lot of opportunities. And I'll say this, my biggest uh, issue with this, they threw in 5 quarterbacks in this game. The Seahawks only played three, and I'm not too familiar familiar with who for Seattle is battling for a roster spot under center as a second uh, string or third string, uh, but as far as Kansas City goes, I thought it was a bad move to play all five guys. Let Aaron Murray attempt more than five passes. Let Tyler Bray go out there uh, and have a, more of an opportunity. Same with Kevin Hogan, who who only completed two passes out of six uh, through an interception. It's so hard to judge guys off just uh, a handful of passes or, or not even double-digit pass attempts. So, again, I really don't know what to make of the quarterback position behind Alex Smith and Nick Foles. I, I, I don't know who you're... If I had to put money down right now who the number three guy is, I have absolutely no idea... Those three guys have never played in the regular season, so you might as well uh, flip a three-sided coin, if you would, uh, just to just to uh, put down money on who you think will uh, will be the number three guy for the Chiefs. And I just wish Andy Reid and the Chiefs coaching staff handled that differently. I just wish they played. Maybe they give Aaron Murray a few series to go out there with the offense, and then you let Tyler Bray take over for the rest of the game. And then you let Kevin Hogan get more action in the second or the or, or third game. I mean, everyone's going to get significant playing time, especially in that third, and, or not the third, but the fourth preseason game. So we'll see how the Chiefs handle that moving forward. I just feel in order, in order for me to have a solid judgment on these guys, you've got to give them more than five pass attempts or, 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 or nine in, in Tyler Bray's case. Five, of course, for Aaron Murray and uh, Kevin Hogan at six. I'm not going to judge these quarterbacks off uh, 
a few plays, and that's a that's a job for Andy Reid and his staff. Uh, they only gave these guys a a couple opportunities, but again, as as the analysts mentioned on the broadcasts uh, for, for this game during and after the game, in the NFL, you just don't get many opportunities. So maybe I'm just an idiot saying all this right now. When in reality, this is how Andy Reid's probably going to judge his players. Who knows? Uh, so, so that's something that uh, is up to him. And, and look, Andy Reid has, of course, been coaching. For a long time in the NFL, I've coached zero football games overall, so I'm pretty sure Andy Reid knows what the hell he is doing. It's just from a from a viewer's perspective, if you if you can look for, for from that angle, I just can't make a judgment for guys who 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 played just a little bit. As far as the defensive side of the football, uh, pretty impressive overall. You you didn't allow the starters, or even the second-string backups to really do much. And the thing that's so weird about this Chiefs defense, as great as they are, they allow a lot of yards, not too many yards. I mean, they're not, it's not like they're near the bottom of the league, but they allow teams to move the football when it comes to the red zone. That's when they step up, and that's why the Chiefs have been one of the best in the NFL and not allowing points to pass four or five years. I've talked to many football coaches about this, position coaches and defensive coordinators, um... You know, especially in my time covering KU football and, and Chiefs football, especially during that Herm Edwards and Todd Ailey eras. Uh, and the thing about coaches is I've asked them about this, and even though their defenses haven't been great, for some reason a lot of bad defenses just tend to step up more in red zone situations. Maybe it's because they're, they're tired of getting beat up on the field in the red zone, that's when they feel the pressure, they're backed up. But also, of course, the obvious part, and I don't think this takes an expert to, to notice this, there's a smaller amount of field to defend when you're in the red zone, or at least in the defensive red zone part. You don't have to cover as much of the field. It's harder for offenses to move the ball and come away with a, a big, fancy play uh, when, when the defense doesn't have too much of the field to cover. And of course, when there's pressure down there and you've got to find someone, that's really when defenses come away with sacks because they know quarterbacks, I mean, quarterbacks cannot wait that long for a play to develop. There's no need to, but when defensive backs are able to cover these guys easily, at that point, quarterbacks tend to get in trouble. And that's what Kansas City has really lived off with Tom Bahali, Justin Houston, uh, a couple other guys, of course, uh, Dontari Poe. Uh, I know Tyson Jackson did a little bit of that during his first and only year with Andy Reid in 2013. Uh, that's how Kansas City won a lot of their football games uh, in 2013. And in 2012, I know they didn't win a lot of games, but that's how they were able to at least compete in some of those games, being able to come up with pressure uh, in those situations in the red zone. In terms of specific players that I was really encouraged seeing, uh, definitely Justin March, who had a really big stop on fourth down, and, and rookie Chris Jones also got in to help on that play. And, and Jones had a couple of highlights in this game, and I liked what I saw from him. But Justin March is a guy who's been getting a lot of repetitions in training camp, and we've heard his name a, a, a few times. And this is really where I think this is an opportunity for him to step up. Uh, and I'll get to why uh, he could be one of those players. Uh, David King, one of the defensive ends, he's really low on the, uh, he's on the bottom of the depth chart, but I think if anything, he really made a case for himself as to why he's 
he deserves to be on this football team. He's got he's got to continue to do it in these next several practices and preseason games. But uh, he's also a guy who I who I was impressed with. Had a sack, had three quarterback hits in this football game. Uh, and this is why it's important because Justin Houston is going to miss some time. No one knows how much, when he's going to return. There's no timetable at all right now. Uh, but you're going to need someone to step up. It doesn't necessarily have to be the outside linebacker that fills in for Justin Houston position, which is likely going to be D Ford and Desmond Moses. It could be anyone on the defensive side of the football. More more ideally from the front seven, because that's where Kansas City is going to need some more pressure to help those defensive backs do better. So it's going to be important. I think the, the biggest thing to keep an eye on this preseason is who's going to step up on the defensive side of the football because you're going to want to see those guys be able to do it against starters, especially when the real thing gets going pretty soon in a month. And Justin Houston's going to miss some time. So you know you're going to need somebody else to step up and be a leader on this football team. You know what you're going to get from Tom Bahali, Derek Johnson, Dantari Poe, uh, Jay Howard. But you're going to need other guys to step in as well. And of course, with, with the sport today, so many coaches rotate in and out for a few plays to bring in uh, their starters to, to the sideline to rest for a bit. But even then, you for those couple of plays, when you've got your backups and you've got to have someone be able to help uh, keep that keep that positivity going for your defense. So that's what I'm looking for the most this preseason. And by the way, don't get so carried up in just the preseason games. I know we can all watch the preseason games here and all the time, but training camp's a big part of this too. Uh, someone might have a great preseason game, but maybe they just have five bad practices, and that could be the reason why someone gets cut and doesn't make it on the 53-man roster. I remember Bobby Scipio had a uh, really impressive preseason in 2008, but wasn't really that great in practice for the Chiefs uh, during training camp that year, and that led to him being cut by the Chiefs that same year. I'll give you my biggest takeaways. I've got two huge takeaways from this game, a good one and a bad one. The good one, Cairo Santos nailed a 58-yard field goal in this game. His career long is 53, doing it twice in each of the two years he's been in the NFL, both, of course, with Kansas City. Uh, so good for Cairo Santos. Look, a 58-yarder in a uh, in a preseason game, no different than a 58-yarder in a real game. So however you you do it when you're a kicker, it, it doesn't make a difference to me. That's one of the few things you can actually take seriously in uh, in a preseason game. I, I, I think the easiest thing for anybody, even the average Joe, just watching from his couch, to judge on a preseason game is how a kicker or a punter does. I mean, those are guys who their jobs in the regular season or preseason aren't much different than in the regular season. So uh, those guys go 100%. They're only there just a handful of times. So they'll go 100% each time because they want to. And it's not like a quarterback who isn't going to go out, bring out all the stops and... His coach is going to call the biggest plays, like I mentioned earlier. But with a kicker, I mean, there's no play call there. You just kick. It's, it's a pretty simple position, of course. And Cairo Santos, I mean, he's really starting to become one of the better kickers in the NFL. So it's nice to see him go out there and make a 58-yarder. That's the best he's ever done in, an, in a live-action game. Uh, hopefully in a situation where if it's 24-22... 
and you're about to attempt a 57 or 58 yarder, I think Chiefs fans, can, you'll still be nervous as hell, but you'll feel a little bit better because you've seen Cairo Santos do it in a live game before. The bad that I take away from this game, after the Hail Mary touchdown pass, and again, that's not on the players that I have an issue with, it's the coaches, right before the two-point attempt, Kansas City took a timeout, coming out of the timeout, the Chiefs get flagged with 12 men on the field. You can, the biggest thing that irritates a coach, and even fans, coming off a timeout and poor execution, that's one thing. Coming off a timeout and having 12 players on the field, that's another issue. And that's something Andy Reid and Bobson, the defensive coordinator, they've got to figure out and see why did that happen and what can we do to fix this going forward. As much as these coaches evaluate these players, they've got to evaluate themselves. Because look, people say this is a game of inches, and it absolutely is. So... You know, giving them that half the distance, that one extra yard, that can make that can make a difference in the NFL. It really can. I mean, that's why they bring out the chains to to measure for first downs, especially in fourth down situations. Someone might be just one inch short, one chain link short, and that could decide the football game sometimes. So that's something that that's the biggest issue I had was allowing a twelfth guy on the field off a timeout. You cannot allow that. So there's my recap of this game. My, my, my biggest takeaways from this football exhibition match against the Seahawks. I do have something I want to get into because this was brought up during the broadcast. Mark Donovan, uh, one of the front office guys for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, interviewed during the game. And they did it for a couple of segments. And uh, they, they touched a lot on, uh, on the parking situation. Which, by the way, it, it costs 40 bucks at Arrowhead. If you pay up front, it's 80 bucks for a preseason game in L.A., which, of course, the Rams had their first pre- first game there in a long time. Uh, so, you know, the people complain about the parking price going up. The Chiefs are really below league average when it comes to the price of parking. And by the way, with, uh, with how much money the NFL spends on TV deals, the NFL prefers it more that fans are watching from home. Especially with high definition, people now just setting up their dungeons and their big screen TVs and their partnership with DirecTV, NFL Sunday Ticket, NFL Red Zone. The NFL likes it more if you're sitting from home. They still obviously want players in attendance. It's bad for the the stadium, the guys who are trying to sell beer and hot dogs and all those good stuff, uh, when they're, they're not going to be able to make as much, especially if a team is struggling. So the parking rent deal here's my thing because the chiefs are talking about prepaying okay there's that option that's nice but then they talk about encouraging fans to arrive early look i'm not i'm not the biggest tailgater in the world i I, it's not i mean i've done it before it's fun it's fun to do but uh you know i've never been the guy that brings out a giant grill and uh, takes up another parking space but the whole thing with the Chiefs and how they encourage fans to arrive early to avoid this parking disaster that they have, it doesn't make sense. I think I told this story on the podcast last year. I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, my family and I, we were heading to the game, the, the Thursday night opener against the Broncos, and we had a gold lot pass to, uh, and of course the gold lots are very close to the stadium. 
and we had it for, now I don't remember what letter it was, A, B, C, D, whatever, we were at our our designated spot where we purchased this parking pass. We go up to the parking attendant who's standing in the way because he can only let certain people go through. He sees our parking pass and he says, hey, look, sorry, we don't have any spots open. And we all thought, okay, well, we spent a lot of money on this. This is our, de- this is where we should be parking. We're not going to keep driving forward to Red Lot or wherever. So the guy said, hey, look, since you have it, we'll just let you pass. I'm just going to warn you, there are no spots. Sure enough, we go in there and there are tw- dozens of spots. Dozens of spots. And I get it. There are tailgaters who may take up a, a, a multiple spots, which, again, that, that, that's one of the reasons why I'm not too big on tailgating. Uh, Chiefs fans love it and good for them. People arrive early to do it. But look, it's a Thursday. or That was a Thursday game. There are Monday games. And there are some people who will put off their entire day just so they can go tailgate early for a Monday night game or a Thursday night game. They'll call off work. That's fine. Me personally, I've got priorities. I'm not calling off work just to arrive early to possibly see my team lose. I mean, I still have fun at these games, but really, you've got to. Me personally, I go after my priorities. I do. I'm not going to dedicate my all of my time for a football players who get paid millions to possibly lose. But again, some fans do that, and good for you if you're one of those fans. I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think me personally, I'm not. I'm not showing up Sunday morning at six or seven a.m. I'm going to enjoy my sleep, and, and then show up around ten or eleven, and uh, watch the pre- nice pregame festivities, which the Chiefs do a great job of with that, and then enjoy the game. A lot of fans do that too. Not not every single Chiefs fan shows up. At 7 a.m. to tailgate. A lot of fans are just pulling in around 10 or 11 and good for them. Uh, And by the way, when the Chiefs say that they want you to show up early to avoid this parking mess, Chiefs fans in the 90s came and sold out the stadium for years. And even in the, the the Dick Vermeule era, early 2000s, this was never an issue. The Chiefs had seventy nine to 80,000 fans every single game in the 90s and half of the uh, 2000s. And this was never an issue. So why, look, did, I, this is a serious question. Because from 2007 to 2012, the Chiefs just flat out sucked, with the exception of one year in 2010. Did the did 2007 through 2012, did the Chiefs really forget for six years how to... Direct traffic and parking? I mean, did they really forget that much? And I don't know, maybe their employees change, I get it. But the Chiefs have one of the best complexes in the NFL. They really do, and same with the Royals, because they're right next to each other at the Truman Sports. And I think Mark Donovan said it on the broadcast, there are 19,000 spots at Arrowhead Stadium. There's no reason as to why... This should even be an issue. So again, I've always been the guy. I don't like to criticize someone of not doing their job too well. uh, And why they make things so difficult. But come on. Like I said, for 15, 16 years, the Chiefs sold out during the Marty Schottenheimer and Dick Vermeil years. And of course, yeah, I mean, there was Gunther in the middle of that. But still, fans showed up all those years. This was never an issue. So I don't know what happened from 2007 through 2012 when fans didn't show up to games. Did they just forget? Did it? I mean, did they just hire new guys also when they change general managers? I don't know. I I really don't. But my point is, we've had 
79 to 80,000 people show up for 16 years and suddenly when Andy Reid comes to Kansas City and when fans start buying tickets again, this is somehow suddenly an issue. When the Chiefs, they should be one of the best at this because they've got one of the best complexes in the league for this. Before we go to our Around the NFL and Out of Bounds segments, I want to touch on Marcus Peters briefly because... He had a phenomenal rookie season with the Kansas City Chiefs last year. Dropped really late in the draft because of some off-the-field issues, but he really stepped up and he came through for the Chiefs, especially during that 10-game surge in the regular season. And, of course, coming away with that playoff victory against the Texans. And Marcus Peters had a big hand in that. But here's my biggest thing in sports. You can have all these flashy statistics and plays, but to me in sports, you're only as good when you're able to prove yourself against top competition. And Marcus Peters didn't necessarily prove himself against top competition last year. He allowed a total of eight touchdowns last year. Seven of them came during the one and five start. He allowed the most touchdowns out of any cornerback last year. Also allowed the second most yards with more than 900 and also allowed the second most receptions with more than 60. So, when you look at a guy, now listen, I know what Chiefs fans are going to say. He led the NFL in in interceptions with eight, a co-led I should say, with eight. What's the beef here? Well, I'll tell you what the beef is here. A lot of his interceptions came against guys like Peyton Manning, which, again, I I get the Broncos won the Super Bowl, but let's be realistic. Picking off Peyton Manning last year was no difficult task. He led the NFL in interceptions before his mysterious foot injury last year, which, of course, we all know that was some sort of cover-up to just let Brock Osweiler come in for a little bit. So he had, I mean, his his interceptions came against Peyton Manning, Johnny Menzel, Ryan Mallett. Uh, you know, he had big games against Landry Jones. Uh, by the way, Ben Roethlisberger didn't play in that game, so that's why Landry Jones was in there. Listen, you're not going to be playing against Johnny Menzel and Peyton Manning in 2016. Now, the Chiefs have a lot of tough teams they'll be going up against this year, and some really great wide receivers, too. And again, if you look at the statistics from Pro Football Focus, he he led the NFL, Cole led the NFL in interceptions. Uh, he was targeted the most and also led the NFL in pass deflections, but he was also one of the league leaders in touchdowns allowed, yards, and receptions. So where do you draw the line with this? People keep talking about how great he is and how he's going to be a, a premier player in the NFL Listen, a lot of fans love pro football focus and the way they evaluate and grade their players. If you want to go with pro football focus, don't take it from me. Marcus Peters was the 49th ranked cornerback by pro football focus last year. So, I'm not so sure. And I know I've been a little pessimistic in these last couple of podcasts. But again, just like last podcast, if you haven't listened, please do. Because I talk about why I don't think the Chiefs are going to live up to the hype of being a Super Bowl contending team. The Chiefs won 11 games against 
some of the worst competition. Yes, they beat the Patriots, and like I, pardon not the Patriots, the Broncos who won the Super Bowl. But look, uh, every now and then you'll see a team uh, that's not supposed to win a game. They it turns out they win, and good teams that are not supposed to lose a, a game, they might lose one of those games, or maybe another one of them. It happens a lot in college sports. We see these upsets and we see these ranking changes. And like I said last podcast, if this was college football, the Chiefs might have cracked the top 10, but it would have been harder to do because they're not necessarily getting quality wins. Same thing with Marcus Peters. He didn't necessarily have quality performances against quality quarterbacks. And look, here's the thing with me. In 2013, when the Chiefs went 9-0, everyone talked about how... It was not an impressive thing. And I said, sure, it's not. However, the Chiefs proved something because that 9-0 start, nobody thought the Chiefs were going to do that. Nobody expected the Chiefs to even win more than eight games that year, including me. And the Chiefs surpassed that in their first nine games, going nine for nine. Same thing in 2010. Nobody expected the Chiefs to go out there to win the AFC West, but because of the easy schedule, they took advantage of it and they won. Some t- Listen, I, and I'm not taking credit away from anything. The Chiefs deserve credit for winning the AFC West in 2010. They deserve a lot of credit for going. They went 2-14 and to going 9-0. and They were the worst football team in the NFL in 2012, and then they became the last team to lose a game in 2013. I know that season had a really rough ending, which we won't get into, but... Uh, Marcus Peters, same thing. This is a guy who came up and made a lot of flashy plays against a lot of bad quarterbacks. I mean, Brian Hoyer, I mean, the list goes on. It's not like he had the greatest game, I mean, against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers on that third game of the season, Monday Night Football. Marcus Peters didn't look very good. And that's a guy, look, if you want to win a Super Bowl, that might be a team you face in the Super Bowl. Didn't have the greatest game either in that playoff loss against the Patriots. And again, I get it. It's Tom Brady, it's Aaron Rodgers, but look, those guys have been beat before. If you want to hold players to high standards, they've got to be able to do well in those situations. And like I said, my biggest thing with sports... I have a hard time, and as, 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 as a younger kid, when I was watching these, it was so hard to just buy into. But now, being older and watching all these games for so many years, my biggest thing in sports is it's so hard for me to buy into a hype when a player hasn't really proven himself in a big game or if, if teams have lived off gaining wins against bad teams. It's just a hard thing for me to do. That's my biggest thing with Marcus Peters. I don't I don't necessarily think he's going to be horrible, even though the statistics show how many yards and receptions he allowed. I, he was a rookie, I get that part too. And by the way, the quarterback position is the hardest position to, to, to play, going from college to the NFL behind the quarterback spot. It's not an easy thing to do. But still, if you're if, so many people are, are thinking Marcus Peters is going to... I, I'm hearing a lot of Chiefs fans get so upset because his Madden rating is really low, by the way. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I'll, I'll get the game when it comes out, but, I, I mean, really, I, I can't blame them. Look at Pro Football Focus. Like I said, 49th ranked corner. He's actually ranked behind Ron Parker, who's 46th. Now, is Ron Parker 
is he a Pro Bowl caliber guy? Should he be the number one quarter? No. I mean, I, I get these ratings. I mean, there's so much that go in behind these ratings. Even I don't know what's being evaluated each and every single step here. But my point is, this is a guy who has a lot to work on going into a season when there's going to be a lot better competition. Again, you're not going up against Johnny Manziel and Peyton Manning. You're going to have some really tough competition in 2016, and the Chiefs are going to be tested this year, especially players who really shined like Marcus Peters. Can he be? Can he carry that over to a second season? And I got a lot of grief for this on, on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzinvestuga and twitter.com slash Farzine21. I'll, I'll say this right now. If I'm wrong, if I see Marcus Peters and the rest of the Chiefs, if they're doing really well, especially against these really good football teams, I'll come out and say I'm wrong. I have no problem doing that. Anyone who, who's listened to this podcast for years that I've done, they know I have no problem admitting I'm wrong, which is something a lot of sports broadcasters or commentators have an issue doing. I'm not one of those guys, so I'll be I'll gladly say I'm wrong if that's the case. All right, we're nearing the end of the show. It's time to go around the NFL. All right, I imagine a lot of you guys listening probably wanted to play professional sports because you knew how much money was involved. Yeah, I was one of those guys too uh, growing up as a kid. Uh, Travis Frederick for the Dallas Cowboys agrees to a six-year deal worth $56.4 million to become the highest-paid center in the league. Tyrod Taylor, quarterback for the Bills, signed a six-year deal worth $92 million. That's more than Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, three guys who combined for five Super Bowl wins. Listen, man, players are making so many money these days, so much money. I know, I'm convinced, and I've said this on Twitter, I'm convinced there's going to be a day where backups are going to make a million dollars. That will happen. There's going to be a backup quarterback, and Chase Daniel was one of those guys here in Kansas City, so I guess that's already happened. I I forgot about that. But I think it's going to happen more and more around the league. I think all backup quarterbacks are going to make a million dollars at some point. I don't know when, but with uh, we live in a world where the price of everything goes up. You know, the price of tuition for your college, uh, if, you, if you've graduated college, check out the price from 30 years ago and see how, gradu- how much it's gradually gone up. I mean, I'm, I, I, mean I, I hope to have kids one day. Uh, just the thought of this kind of scares me how much college is going to be when they're going to school. Listen, the Chiefs have a history of making guys the highest paid players at their positions in the in NFL history. Larry Johnson, Eric Berry. Eric Berry became the richest safety right after he got drafted, before he even played a game. Justin Houston also at one point became the highest paid player at his position. Now, all of those have changed, of course, but it's going to keep changing. Players are going to, every year, there's going to be someone who becomes the highest paid player at X position. And then the following year, at a different position, someone else is going to be the highest paid player in NFL history at that position. And it's crazy. Look at what we've seen this offseason right now with the NBA and how much players are getting paid. LeBron James. Woo! Did you guys see the contract for that? A $100 million contract in three years. 
Uh, I read somewhere online that he'll make 1.3 million every two weeks, and that's just his basketball contract with the Cavaliers. I mean, think of his endorsements and all of that he's getting. That's all separate. Listen, athletes make so much money these days, and in the NFL, where cash is king, and how much money the NFL—I mean, the NFL is a multi-billion-dollar business. The amount of money I mentioned earlier, the amount of money they spend on TV deals, and the amount of money they make off those deals, and from fans, and from merchandise, and public events when fans go out to uh, get an autograph, and the amount of money they must pay for an inscription or even just a signature. There's so much money the NFL's making and that athletes are making outside of their football or basketball contracts. Oh, man. I I at one point wanted to be the L.A. Lakers center. You know, I could live in Hollywood, enjoy all that good stuff. Yeah. Didn't happen. We're, We're living in a time, man, where... The price of everything's just going up, and people are going to get paid more, and NFL players are going to pay millions and millions of more dollars down the road. So crazy, crazy it is. Last thing I want to talk about in this segment, uh, the preseason in full swing, how seriously can we take these games? I'm hearing how Jared Goff uh, from Arnie Spanier on Fox Sports Radio, how he's never going to play a snap in the NFL, and he didn't look too good. But listen, I, I think we take up way we get way too caught up in what happens in a preseason game we really really do listen the Detroit Lions went 4-0 the same year they went 0-16 okay that's the only statistic I need to throw at you at how not to take these preseason games seriously the Chiefs have gone 4-0 three times two of those times they went to the Super Bowl last year they went 4-0 in the preseason they got a playoff win Look, what happens in the preseason is no correlation at all to what will happen in the regular season, and that's all I'm going to say about that subject. Stop taking the preseason too seriously. So many people are doing it. It drives me nuts. It's just an exhibition game. Come on. If your team got their butt kicked in the game, just relax. It's not the end of the world. It'll be fine. (laughs) It's just a preseason. All right, it's time to introduce our new segment here in the podcast. It's called Out of Bounds. All right, I hope you guys do enjoy this segment on this podcast. Again, I appreciate all the responses and the the feedback. So uh, I took that into consideration and thought, why not we do it this way? So here it is. Here's the Out of Bounds segment. I want to start with Hope Solo. You guys have all probably heard this by now. She said, I think we played a bunch of cowards. The best team did not win today. I strongly, firmly believe that. She called them cowards. Says the woman who has been charged with domestic violence and also berated a police officer. You're lucky you're even representing this country. And look, Hope Solo has been one of the better success stories in American sports with with the U.S. women's national team. The U.S. Women's National Team has been one of the more successful sports teams we've seen here. And they've done a lot to make our country look good. I get it's a women's sport, but look, so many people in the UFC. I mean, look at look at Ronda Rousey and her super... Ronda Rousey is a top three star in the UFC. 
even though she hasn't fought in nearly forever. Hope Solo is one of the more prominent athletes. I mean, look, when a soccer team is doing good, who who does everyone know? The goalie. When a football team is doing good, who does everyone know? The quarterback. Hope Solo, with everything she's been involved with, and I get it. I mean, it's unfortunate that domestic violence, it looks so bad on a guy, but on a woman like Hope Solo, it's barely even talked about. Shut up. You don't deserve to call other people cowards when you've been charged with domestic violence, alright? I, I don't support domestic violence at all. I mean, rightfully so. That'd be weird if I did. But I don't care if you're a guy or a girl. Violence of any sort coming from anyone, a guy or a girl, is not right at all. And I know men get much more ha- crap for that, more than women. I hope women listening don't take this the wrong way. But unfortunately, that's just the way it's perceived. It shouldn't be. Hope Solo was a disgrace to not just the sport of soccer, not just the sports in general, but for this country. I'll tell you who's not a disgrace. Michael Phelps, he's a GOAT. Simple. I heard on Fox Sports Radio his competition winning 23 gold medals in these last three Olympics. Is he going up against good competition? Probably not. However, winning 23 gold medals is no easy task. The Patriots went 16-0 and again, did it with a fairly easy schedule. They played a couple good teams in the Colts and the Cowboys that year, but still, going 16-0 is not an easy task. A lot of pitchers, they don't have no hitters or perfect games against the best team in baseball. It generally happens against some of the worst teams in baseball. A lot of these record-setting moments in games don't happen against the best teams. It might happen every now and then, but it generally happens against bad teams. And that's okay. That's how it works. You're not going to have a perfect game against the best team in baseball. That's a really tough thing. It might, it might happen here and there, but not as much. Props to Michael Phelps, man. His last Olympic event. And he is arguably not just one of the best, like Hope Solo, but unlike Hope Solo, one of the better guys that we have seen represent our country. Last topic, Conor McGregor, who's about to have this highly anticipated rematch against Nate Diaz very soon. Conor McGregor is a marketing genius. Seriously, if this guy retired from the UFC, he needs to become a marketing professor at some college somewhere. He has pissed off so many people, more specifically WWE fans. Saying he could beat all the WWE superstars in a real fight. And a lot of wrestlers responded on Twitter. Connor reacted and targeted John Cena calling him failed Mr. Olympian. He has ticked off every single WWE fan that's not a UFC fan. This is a good thing. Do you know why? Do you know why Conor McGregor, as much as I hate him, do you know why he is so good? Do you know why the UFC loves him? Because he draws. Do you know why he draws? He does stuff like this. WWE fans that don't even watch the UFC, they're going to either follow this or, heck, maybe they'll even buy the pay-per-view to root for Conor to lose. Not to root for Nate Diaz to win. They don't care about Nate Diaz winning this fight. They care about Conor McGregor losing. They just want to see him lose. Conor McGregor is the same guy who did not show up for that press conference to promote what was supposed to be the main event for UFC 200. But by not showing up for the press conference to promote his fight, which by the way, that's a UFC rule. You've got to show up to, to do these things. Because he didn't, 
that fight got pulled off the card and got cancelled. Because the fight got cancelled, it got more attention. A fight that got removed from the card got attention. Why? Because Conor didn't promote it. Do you get what's happening here? Conor McGregor didn't show up to promote the fight and the fight got more attention. Which is ironic. You know, how how does Conor McGregor do this? How does he, either he is just incredibly smart, his parents taught him, or he must have have the best marketing coach ever. I don't know how Conor McGregor does this. A lot of people hate him. A lot of people pay a lot of money to want to see him lose. That's why the UFC spoon feeds him. Again, I'm a huge Nate Diaz fan, so I hope he wins. But I understand why the UFC loves him so much. Conor McGregor is the UFC's baby. He's making him a lot of money. That's why he gets away with a lot of things in the UFC. Oh, he didn't show up to promote what what was supposed to be the biggest pay-per-view in UFC history? Uh, whatever. He's Conor McGregor. Let's go ahead and still throw a lot of money at him in this highly anticipated rematch against Nate Diaz at UFC 202. That's Conor McGregor, ladies and gentlemen. Marketing God is what he is. Hope you guys enjoyed that segment for this podcast. Hopefully we'll do it again. If you guys like it, let me know. If not, I'll probably keep doing it uh, until we have a, a petition, I guess, to get rid of that po- uh, that segment for this podcast. Who knows? But nonetheless, hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Chiefs on Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and listening here. I'm Farzine Vasugian. Please like my Facebook page and interact with me on there, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. You can also follow me on Twitter and talk to me on there, twitter.com slash Farzine21. Again, be sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I'll talk to you guys. Uh, I've got a lot going on this month, so I'll try to do another podcast this week if something big happens uh, with the Chiefs. If not, I'll talk to you guys next week, same time, same place, after the next preseason game. Until then... Just relax. It's the preseason. Don't take it too seriously. Just sit back, eat your popcorn, enjoy it. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care.